1: It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Rev. Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Rev. Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. So, um, we're going to continue... We've been doing a series on this book called Homecoming, how the mystery of the New Covenant brings both Jew and Gentile back to Abba Father. And um, last week, we were talking about the answering of the question of, when we are born again, when we come to the Lord in faith, what is our true biblical identification and um, we would, of course, say, "Well, we're we're Christians." And um, but there's so much that I've discovered in writing this book, language that Paul the apostle uses in the New Testament that really doesn't talk a lot about the term Christian. And we talked about in the last show. And I'm not going to go over a lot of the last show, I just want you to uh, be aware that um, we discussed at great length uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and what is our title, um, when we become born again, when we come to know the Lord. And it's interesting that in the process of of talking about what happens when Jew and Gentile come together, because... Uh, Messiah Jesus knocks down the wall of hostility between the two groups uh, when they recognize that, as believers, they have a mutual father. And as believers, they also have a mutual enemy. And we started to uh, lay out in chapter 2 of Ephesians uh, last week that when we become born again, um, Paul says, you were, as Gentiles— because he's running to the Church of Ephesus, it's mostly Gentiles, and um, he is explaining that you were uh, aliens, you were strangers, you were far away from what God was doing in the original uh, First Testament. And um, he was trying to lay out all the different roles, all the different uh, uh, new identities we take on, as we enter in, and as he said in Ephesians chapter 2, when you're brought near by the blood of Christ, you're brought near, but brought near to what? Um, you know, um, whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant, we were all taught, hey, you're getting nearer to heaven. You know, you uh, you got your ticket, and you're going to fly out of here, and etc. cetera. Um, I love heaven, but that's not the point or the goal, of what Paul's talking about at all. He's trying to explain that we um, have to adjust as Gentiles and realize that we become part of something, something very unique, something very special, something supernatural, something permanent. And especially if, as we... (laughs) listen to the counsel of God, it, hopefully those these new uh, identities and names that we're taking on and uh, roles that we're taking on will become permanent um, in the context of what we understand as eternal life by knowing God relationally. And so Paul throws out this term that you have become part of what he called the commonwealth of Israel in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, I'm not going to go over that. We studied what commonwealth means um, and what that term signifies. Uh, it was that you were becoming a citizen of this structure, of this kingdom of God structure. And it's a government. It's the domain of the king. But it has a name. It's a commonwealth of Israel. And then uh, it said, you know, before you knew Christ, before you were drawn uh, near to um, God through um, the blood of Christ, you had no hope. You were without God. And then he said, you are now a fellow citizen of this commonwealth of Israel. And again, if you missed last week's show, I highly recommend that you get... uh, Uh, get a copy, not get a copy of it, you can listen to it a couple different ways. You can go on simpletruthministries.net, go under the uh, media section, click on the media section, and then pull down the little window there that says podcasts. And it will be there. And if uh, you want, you can go to the KPRZ uh, website. And again, go to podcasts after you uh, type in kprz.com and uh, you can go by the date and check up, check out last week's uh, date and this look up um, that title, which is what is our true biblical identity as Gentiles when we come to a Jewish Messiah, when we come to a Jewish Redeemer, when we come to a Jewish Savior, when we come... To a Jewish, um, his title is King of the Jews. He celebrated the Hebrew feasts, the feasts of the Lord. He kept those feasts, and we can see that in the the four Gospels. Um, The apostles, with maybe one exception, were all Jewish. The prophets um, in the First Testament proclaiming this Jewish Messiah, they were all Jewish. And the covenants of promise made between God and the patriarchs, beginning in Genesis chapter 12, and it goes through all the way through Genesis chapter 28, the patriarchs being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you see this in Genesis 12, in uh, Genesis uh, 15, in Genesis 17, in Genesis 26, also in Genesis 28. And you are also not just part of the Commonwealth of Israel as a citizen, we studied last week, you're also a member of the household of God. That's terminology that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 2. If you look it up in the uh, Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns, he says, you are now members of the family of God. So instead of household, uh, David Stearns, the uh, Jewish author of the complete Jewish Bible, uh, used the word family. So you become a member of something very large as far as a governmental sense um, in the kingdom context, and then you're also becoming something um, very special as a member of the family. And then we talked briefly about uh, the terminology that Paul used Uh, explaining what God was doing, that he was building something. By bringing these two groups together, both the Jews and the Gentiles, he was um, pointing out this is pretty much a construction project, and um, you were being built on the foundations of the Hebrew apostles and the Hebrew emissaries and the Hebrew prophets, and... Jesus, Yeshua, which is his name in in Hebrew, which means he saves, uh, is the cornerstone which holds all of these different uh, foundations together as this temple is built. And it talks about you're becoming a holy temple, a whole temple, W-H-O-L-E, a holy temple, this is at the end of um, chapter 2 of Ephesians, and you're being built into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, that's not talking of God with us. That's talking about God in us. And we talked briefly about, check out Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see that the proclamation of is of God the Father is, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. But where is the place Um. I'm sorry, where's the home? Where is the abode? Where's the house you will build for me? And then he ends it, "The place of my rest. God is not at rest until He is indwelling. The temple which we are. It says that in Second in Corinthians. it says that in the book of Hebrews. We are God's temple and that's a holy temple it's a living organism it's something that grows and it's something that matures and it's something that um that basically changes as the level of god's indwelling increases we change we can't stay the same when we invite god in that's all about john chapter 14 john chapter 15 john chapter 16 and john chapter 17 Read those four chapters, and again, those are earlier shows as well. So moving on, so let's just do a summation. We are now members of the Commonwealth of Israel. We are fellow citizens. We are no longer considered aliens and strangers. And we are also now members of the family of God, members of the household of God. And we are being brought together in a construction project, the chief cornerstone of which is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yeshua HaMashiach is his Hebrew name. And that cornerstone is throwing down, breaking down, the wall of separation of hostility between these two groups of children of God. And it, as such, through the Spirit, we are being built into an entire temple, a whole temple, if you will, a holy temple as well, into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit with a capital S. That's a process. That takes time. But it's something that is experiential. It's something that's relational. It's, it's eternal life uh, as defined in John seventeen three. So let's move on. We're going to um, forge ahead here, and we're going to ask a question. Moving on to Ephesians chapter 3, what else um, becomes our true biblical identity when we come to know Christ in faith, when we come to know him relationally, when we basically sign on for this gospel message that... Father God sent his Son in not only divine form but also human form to basically uh, deliver us from the power of Satan over to the image and likeness of God. Does that sound familiar, image and likeness? That's something that we were made for and made in. In the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, God never has changed his mind, but he is doing something as far as restoration of his original blueprint plan that we find in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So what else do we become uh, when we accept Jesus as our Lord, as our divine Savior, as our deliverer? From the power of Satan over to God, as it says in Acts chapter 26. We, as we study Ephesians chapter 3 now in the first six chapters, we become something with another title as well. And that is, and I'm going to read to you the first six on chap- uh, first verse, six verses of chapter 3 of Ephesians. And I think I'm going to start off with the New King James, and then I will go over to the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns. So after it talks in ending uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, it talks about us um, being built into the whole building, being fitted together, growing into a holy temple of the Lord in whom we are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Mind-blowing stuff. We transfer over to the first verse in Ephesians 3, and he picks up, Paul picks up here, and he says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of, of the grace of God which was given to me, how that by revelation he made known to me, and here's the key word here, the mystery and he puts parenthetically, as as I have briefly written already, by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And in verse 5, he goes on to explain what that mystery is, which in other ages was not made known to the uh, sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, that's a capital S, to his holy apostles and prophets. Okay, here it is. Here is the punchline in verse 6, that the Gentiles, that's the people of the nations, should be fellow heirs, H-E-I-R-S, of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, I'm going to read those same verses in the complete Jewish Bible and uh, Chapter 3, Paul refers to the Galatians, and he asks the question, Who has put you under a spell? Before your very eyes, Yeshua the Messiah, that's Jesus the Deliverer, was clearly portrayed as having been put to death as a criminal. I want you to know um, just just this one thing. He's asking, actually, asking a question. Did you receive the Spirit, that's a capital S, by the legalistic observance of the Torah commands? Or did you receive the Spirit by trusting in what you heard and by being faithful to it? Let me give you a little background here. Um, In both the letter of Ephesians and the letter to the Galatians, there was a group of um, Jews that were following Paul around from town to town, Uh, Gentile town to Gentile town, and um, they were trying to undo the preaching of the gospel as it was presented by Paul the Apostle to these new converts. They were all Gentiles. And um, he's now concerned, Paul's now concerned as he begins chapter 3 of Galatians, that the Gentiles are being uh, placed under burdens— Of having to follow uh, rituals and observances and uh, legalistic observances of the Torah commands. And these were imposed by a group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were uh, working against um, the efforts of Paul. And they were all about saying, You can't become one of us until and unless you do. Everything that's required in the Torah, not just the moral law of God, but also its uh, rituals, its observances, and all of its ceremonial aspects. And then Paul goes on to say, or ask, in verse 3 of Galatians 3, are you that uninformed? He actually uses the word stupid here as, of um, this is the translation of david Stearns in the complete jewish bible paul's obviously frustrated having begun with the spirit's power that's a capital s and spirits uh, power that's an apostrophe s talking about the holy spirits um, did you think that you can reach the goal under his under your own power have you suffered so much for nothing because Apparently, the Galatians were buying what the Judaizers were saying, so they were getting into this legalistic perversion of the Torah and uh, basically undoing all of the teachings of grace and faith that Paul was presenting uh, on his earlier trips. Paul goes on to ask, if that's the way you think, well, then your suffering certainly will have been for nothing. What about God who supplies you with the Spirit, again, capital S on that, talking about the Holy Spirit, and works miracles amongst you? Does he do it because of your legalistic observance of the Torah commands, or does he do it because you trust in what you heard and what you are faithful to? So, let's go on to verse 6. It was the same with Abraham. Abraham trusted in God and was faithful to him. Again, we're reading out of the complete Jewish Bible here. I'll say that again. He trusted in God and was faithful to him, and that was credited to his account as righteousness. Verse 7, be assured then that it is those who live by trusting and being faithful who are really the children of Abraham. Now check out verse 8. Also the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, foreseeing that God would consider the Gentiles righteous when they live by trusting and being faithful, told the good news to Abraham in advance by saying, quote, in connection with you, all of the nations Will be blessed. Wow. That is mind blowing stuff. Put on your seatbelts, folks, because (laughs) we have to now sit down as Gentiles and say, we're not just fellow citizens of the Commonwealth of Israel in Ephesians 2, and we're not just members of the family of God, but it's also saying that we're being considered righteous. And basically, by living a life of trust, of being faithful, of having faith in our Messiah. And what Paul is trying to explain here is that this was so from the very onset when Father God was making a covenant with Abraham. The idea was always to include the Gentiles. The idea was always to include that the Gentiles would not just be second-class citizens or add-ons after the facts. No, they actually, because of trusting and being faithful, and thus, just like Abraham, he trusted God. He was faithful to him. And that relationship component was credited to Abraham's account as righteousness. In the Gentile Bibles, it says, justified by faith. Okay? And it's basically the concept of imputed righteousness because of the quality of their relationship. Their relationship between Abraham and Father God was one of trust, it was one of being faithful. They made, Father God made a covenant, a contract, if you will, with Abraham, which included promises. And these promises were ultimately for the long-term benefit down the road of people who were not Hebrew or Jewish, the people of the nations who were known as Gentiles. We would be included in the terms and in the promises of the original relationship between Abraham and God and what God intended to do in in establishing his kingdom back on earth. Everything in Genesis 1 and 2 coming full circle and we start to see it fulfilled in Revelation the last two chapters. You ready for this folks? Put on your seatbelts. We'll see you after the break. God bless. Did you know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show, also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our hebrew covenant roots and god's blueprint plans to bring together both jew and gentile into one new humanity in messiah jesus and father god it will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget so type in www.simpletruthministries.net it's not .org it's not .com remember .net god bless welcome back saints We are taking a journey in the book called Homecoming, How the Mystery of the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And we're studying um, Ephesians 2 and 3 and along with Galatians 2 and 3, uh, both epistles written uh, by Paul to basically congregations of Gentiles, and trying to explain to them, that they were included as ultimate beneficiaries of a covenant contract that was made between Father God and Abraham, the first Jew, if you will. Abraham was a former Gentile, but when this relationship with God formed, he, in essence, became the first Hebrew, the first member of the Jewish Uh, family, and Jewish race. And all of the promises that Paul was trying to explain uh, in Ephesians 2 and 3, as well as Galatians 2 and 3, that were made between Father God and Father Abraham, uh, one of those uh, significant aspects of a relationship with God is that he was to become, he, Abraham, was to become the father of not just his Jewish uh, lineage and Jewish progeny, but he's also going to be the father of many nations. Now, we have to keep in mind that when we talk about groups of people in the Scripture, there are only two. There are only two groups of people that are referred to in the Scripture. Uh, the f- Group one is um, the Jews slash uh, Hebrews, and um, gr- group two is um, the, what is called the Goyim in Hebrew, people of the nations, those who are non-Jews. And so The amazing revelation, and let's just call it, it's a revelation of what Paul calls a mystery, Um, and in the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stern, he uses a different word other than mystery in the translation. He uses the word uh, secret plan. So God's secret plan was to include in this family restoration program not just a relationship between... Abraham and his downline sons, daughters, but also this other group called the people of the nations, the Gentiles. And they were also to be included as members of the family. They were also to be included into the concept of the Commonwealth of Israel, which in a kingdom context is basically bringing the kingdom of God, the God's government from the heaven the heavenlies, to the earth. When we say the Lord's Prayer, um, it's really interesting. We don't really pay attention to how we're praying, but Yeshua, Jesus taught us only one prayer, and it starts off with the concept of your identity, Jesus looking at you saying, our Father. We're talking family now. When he's teaching us how to pray, if Jesus is on earth, hypothetically, teaching me, and I was one of the apostles or disciples back in in the day when Jesus was on the earth, and he's answering the question, "How do we pray?" And he starts off by saying, "Our Father." Well, he's including himself in that description. So the question becomes, "Well, Jesus, you're telling me to, how to pray, but you using the the uh, adjective, um, you're using the." pronoun our what are you saying are you a family member of mine that you're not my father is that the is that is that true <laughs> and jesus is basically pointing upwards into the into the sky saying our father so jesus isn't our father when he's revealing how we should pray he says we have a father together So if Jesus isn't my father, what is he to me in a family sense? Well, he's my older brother who's now teaching me that he's going to be the way, the truth, and the life. And he's trying to introduce me to someone I don't know relationally yet. And he's saying no one gets to our Father but through me. He's the bridge. He's the access point. That's why he said he's the way. And so uh, as we go down into the later part of the Our Father, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. And notice Jesus is on earth when he says this part. He says, Your kingdom come. He's saying to the Father, Father, bring your kingdom Ways, bring your government of heaven down to this earth, which is full of rebellion and sin and lawlessness against your ways. Notice he didn't say your kingdom go. He said your kingdom come. And he's on earth when he prays this. And why am I spending some time with this? Because when Paul's talking about us becoming members of the Commonwealth of Israel, it's a corporate um, belongingness to something that's governmental in nature. Commonwealths were um, real governments. And this government is very special because it has the title Israel. If you remember how the name Israel appeared, it's when Jacob uh, was wrestling uh, with God. Um, his name, Jacob, meant heel snatcher, um, and um, he kind of lived, lived his life that way because when he was born, he was grabbing onto the, the heel of his brother uh, right after birth. But his name changed after he wrestled with God. And in fact, that's what Israel means, one who wrestles with God. We're part of that component that of people who are discovering who God is, what he is, and what his plan is, both in his capacity as Father, Creator, both in his capacity as Jesus, our Uh, our mediator of the new covenant, our deliverer from the grasp of Satan and the power of Satan, our Savior, which saves us from the wrath of God, um, and the Holy Spirit, who is our nurturer and directs our paths and is the giver of the gifts. And so we need to understand that when we come to the Lord, it's not a social, um, you know, construct of, of just uh, friends getting together. This is something that's very, very holy, very, very special, very unique. It's one of a kind. And so I want to spend some time on this next designation of what you became when you became born again. So you're already, a, as we've discovered in Ephesians 2, you're already a member of the family of God. You're you're not a alien any longer, you're not a stranger, and you are a citizen of the Commonwealth of Israel. There's something else that you uh were designated, and that was a joint heir. As we see in Ephesians chapter three, I'll read it here out of the New King James. And the the mystery as it's being revealed is to start um In verse 4 of Ephesians 3, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, verse 6 of Ephesians 3, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. An heir is a family member that is going to receive something from the father. If you think about um, a situation when you have family law, um, and when you get into the areas of uh, testamentary trusts, wills, probate, um, it's all about family structure and passing down... um, wealth, and blessings from the creator of the will, the creator of the trust, down to the heirs in the family. And we're now considered not just members of the family, but joint heirs, H-E-I-R-S, which means we are about to receive everything that Father God has planned for us Since the beginning of time, going back to Genesis chapter 1, going back to Genesis chapter 2, everything that the Father had planned for us, he never changed his mind that we were going to inherit and receive. So uh, I want to go to Galatians 3. I want to go back to verses uh, 6. I'm going to read this out of the complete Jewish Bible okay it was the same with Abraham he trusted in God and was faithful to him and that was credited to Abraham's account as righteousness verse 7 be assured then that it is those who live by trusting and being faithful who are really children of Abraham so there's your new there's your new designation there's your additional title you if you're as you're part of the family of God, you're also a child of Abraham as a Gentile. Now, let's go on to verse 8. It goes on, it says, also the Tanakh, now the Tanakh is the Jewish um, expression of, of the Old Testament, also the Tanakh foreseen, in other words, seen ahead of time, that God would consider the Gentiles righteous, just like Abraham, when they live, by trusting and being faithful, told the good news to Abraham in advance. In other words, this mystery was revealed to Abraham way ahead of time, way ahead of Paul writing about it in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, way ahead of Paul writing about this mystery being revealed in Galatians 2 and 3, but what our status as Gentiles happens to be. So Abraham finds out about it in advance by saying, and this is what God said to Abraham. In connection with you, all the nations will be blessed. That's inheritance. And that means the people of the nations. That means people who are not ethnically Jewish. That means people who were are outside of the commonwealth of Israel, but when they became born again, they are no longer aliens. They are no longer strangers to these covenants of promise that God made with Father Abraham. It's not exclusively for the Jews. In fact, I will go so far as to say, I mentioned this in my book, Homecoming. Those covenants that were made between Father God and the Jewish patriarchs were ultimately for the benefit of the Gentile people, the people of the nations. Think about God's plan. He wanted to set up a prototype of, of a group of people who would display and be an example of how it looked like and felt like and what, it, what what the experience was like to have a relationship, ongoing relationship with Father God himself. And that demonstration was going to be a light to the nations. Read Genesis chapter 12. Read Genesis chapter 15. Read Genesis chapter 17 and find where you are as a member of the Gentile nations in those Jewish promises to a Jewish patriarch. It was about you as the ultimate purpose of the arrangement. God wants to bring his errant, prodigal, children back to him. And it doesn't matter whether they were Jewish or Hebrew or whether they were Gentile. He wants a family reunion back. That's why Yeshua, that's why Jesus came to the earth, was to restore us, to reconcile us in a family context back to God. And if you want to see the word reconciled, check out the last four verses of 2 Corinthians 5 it goes, I think it's mentioned like four or five times about Jesus' purpose was to come and reconcile us back to our Father. We, our relationship with him was ruptured when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in Genesis 3. Everything blew up. And the entire Bible story, if you really want to just boil it down, is the story of a family reunion And it's circular in nature. It's cyclical, and cycles are in the shape of circles. It's coming home. That's why I named the book Homecoming. You're coming back to something that you lost. We didn't lose heaven in the fall. We lost our relationship with our Father God, and we therefore died. How can you say we died? Well, (laughs) In John 17:3 it describes what eternal life is. Here's here I mean we really have to get this down. Eternal life according to John 17:3 here's Jesus praying to the Father the night before he's he's going to, you know, die on the cross and he's at the last supper and he says these words and this is eternal life. That's how it starts, John seventeen three. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And that's not talking about knowing facts and figures in your mind about God. That's talking about do you know him relationally and experientially in your heart of hearts? Do you know him? Do you trust him like Abraham trusted him? Do you have faith in him like Abraham had faith in him? Were you, are you being faithful to God in your relationship as Abraham was faithful to God? Wow. If you don't think that that march up Mount Moriah, those three days, where God's saying, um, you got to give me back your son, Isaac, who supposedly is going to be this next step of the, of the uh, covenant promise— and can you imagine what was going through the mind of Abraham as he's marching up um, Mount Moriah? They have the wood, and Abraham is, has to answer the question when Isaac says, where's the sacrifice, Father? He trusted God to the point where he says, I don't know how you're going to do this, but if I have to sacrifice my son, you're God, and I'm not, and I know that you are going to keep your promises irrespective of of the fact that I may plunge my knife into him as a sacrifice. And you know the end of the story. When God sends an angel to grab Abraham's hand to say, don't do it, now I know what's in your heart. I know that you fear me. I know that we have that special close relationship You know, there's an adage that if you ever get something from God, you have to get it twice. You have to receive it two times. Why? Because if you get something from God and then you clutch onto it and you don't want to give it back, it's become an idol in your relationship with God, interfering and acting as competition for your time and attention. And so oftentimes God gives you something and says, now give it back. He wants to see where our our set of priorities are relationally with him. So, let's get back to these promises that we are now as heirs, Gentile heirs, are going to receive along with the Jewish children of God. But look at verse 8. Also, the Tanakh, foreseeing that God would consider the Gentiles righteous when they also live by trusting and being faithful, told the good news to Abraham in advance by saying, In connection with you, all the nations will be in blessed. We Gentiles are the nations. Okay, look at verse 9. So then, those who rely on trusting and being faithful are blessed along with Abraham, who also trusted and was faithful. Okay, where, am I, where was I just reading? That was verse 9 out of Galatians 3, out of the complete Jewish Bible. All right, so let's go on to, by the way, I want to remind you in verse 7, you now have a new title that you want to add to that list from last week's show. You are now sons of Abraham. Okay, your children of Abraham, sons and daughters of Abraham. That's in verse 7 of Galatians 3. Okay, um, let's, let's take a look. Let's just leave Galatians here for just a moment. Let's go over to Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 1 and 2. And, and then we'll take a little journey into Romans 8, a little deeper. And you'll see where this concept of heirs shows up. And in Revelation 8, I'm going to read out of the New King James. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's a capital S. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free for the law of sin and death. So let's jump over now to verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. We're going to build upon the concept that we've been introducing. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, again, capital S on spirit, these are sons of God. So you see how this is reiterating what we've already seen in Ephesians two and three, and Galatians two and three. Go on to verse 15, "For you did not receive the spondi- I'm sorry, the spirit of bondage again to fear." but you receive the spirit that's a capital S of adoption by whom we cry out abba father you see what happens when you became born again you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you received the spirit capital S of adoption adoption only happens in a family context Uh, Adoptions are carried out in superior court oftentimes, and and that's where the actual uh, formalities carried out. Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. See, this is our, our identity. We are sons and daughters of Abba Father. It's a family reunion. You're being adopted. Now notice in verse 16 of Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There it is. They're plain and in black and white, it's there, right there. And then when you says the Spirit himself, again, that's the capital S. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that small s, that we are children of God. Now, it gets better. Look and Go down to uh, verse 17 of Romans chapter 8. And if children, then heirs. H-E-I-R-S, heirs of God, and it gets even better, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we can be glorified together. Okay, now Jesus says, it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom when you're going to get the kingdom, it's going to be in your new family context as Gentile members of the family, as sons and daughters of Abraham, who are now heirs of the same promise that Father God made to Abraham. Okay? Now, let's just take a quick look at what a co-heir with Christ looks like. What does that mean? What's, you know, what's Jesus going to uh, inherit? Take a quick look. Over at uh Psalms. Let's go over to Psalm two. Starting at verse seven. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, we're on verse seven of Psalm two. Look at this. You are my son. My is capitalized and son is capitalized. This is the Father God talking to Jesus, his son. Today I have begotten you. Now look at verse eight. Remember what we just saw in Romans. We Gentiles are going to be heirs, but not just heirs. We're going to be co-heirs with Christ. Well, what's Christ going to inherit? Look at Psalms uh, 2, verse 8. This is the father saying to Jesus, to his son, Ask of me, and I will give you, you ready? The nations for your inheritance. Heirs receive inheritances from their fathers. And the ends of the Earth for your possession he says I didn't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not giving you heaven I am giving you the earth which you lost in the fall in Genesis 3 and I'm giving you the nations we're going to end with this the second temptation of Christ Satan brought Satan up to the top of the mountain he didn't show him heaven as the big prize what did he show him he showed him the people of the nations all the kingdoms of the nations of the earth Wow, are you ready for this type of inheritance? It says you're not just heirs in Romans 8, it's you're also joint heirs with Christ. Everything that Jesus receives from the Father, we do too. You guys ready for this? We'll see you next week. May you have many... Many Simple Truth Moments in the upcoming week. God bless you. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his simple truth moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K Praise